Kedron, you know that I like football, oh, right? Yes, I do. And you know how much I like the coach for the Eagles, oh, Doug yes. Peterson. Yes, I know how much you like him. <laughs> so I, I just think he's an, an amazing coach. We've we've talked about this before. The former Eagles coach was fired, and one of the reasons wasn't just a losing season, but because he had low emotional intelligence. And then the Eagles hired Doug Peterson. And this guy is such an example for our topic today, which is coaching. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for Doug Peterson, there's this obvious outcome of, I love to think about this, in 2017. And Adam, our podcaster here, he, he and I remember this. Fly, Eagles <laughs> yeah, fly. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Um, and it was it was so exciting. But also, you know, last year they got into the playoffs. This year, uh, they had a ton of injuries. They had like th- third stringers. Um, they still made it to the playoffs. It was pretty amazing. And you know, of course, a lot of that has to do with these amazing athletes. But we have to give Doug Peterson credit for not just being smart, um, but for being the kind of coach who knows how to empower his team, how to make them really feel like they can accomplish difficult things, but also to be kind and respectful and create an environment where the team supports and drives one another to greatness. I really, really admire him for what he does. Mm, I think so many of us do. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Colantonio. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we have my favorite person ever, Kedron Crosby, on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today, Kedron. It's a pleasure. So we're talking about coaching, coaching 101. There's a lot we could talk about, but we want to kind of get to the basics of it. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because so much of the work we do is in leadership development and executive coaching, really helping our clients be the best leaders they can be. And not only that, so you know that external coaching that we do, but we do it internally with each other. And I'll never forget Early on, I was really nervous about a session I had coming up, and you coached me through it. You coached me about how to be a coach, Mm -hmm. and it was such a revelation, um, this way of coaching that's, well, you know, how how would you describe it? Hmm. Well, I think think it's helpful to think about external coaching versus internal coaching, and We can talk about external coaching. Most of what we do, well, about half of what Work Wisdom does is external coaching, meaning that we work with companies all over the country, all over the world, um, and we are their external executive coaches. Mm -hmm. So we are helping them grow in self-awareness. Um, helping to create a curriculum for them on which skills they need to grow in order to become the best versions of themselves and then helping to embed those skills. So we do that externally. Mm -hmm. um, But there's also internal coaching and that's becoming more and more popular. So we've actually trained internal coaches within other companies to become 
extraordinary internal coaches. Um, there are benefits of having an external coach and benefits of having an internal coach. External coaches can maybe have some more crucial conversations, um, help staff grow in self-awareness in ways that might be a little awkward or uncomfortable for an internal coach. Um, But we use a lot of the same philosophy and methodology with our external coaching as we do with our internal coaching. So we have five five coaches on the team at Work Wisdom. And one of the things that I think is really unusual about work wisdom is that we coach each other. Yeah. So uh, it sounds bizarre, but our our managing partner Jamie Arroyo is actually my high performance uh, habits coach. Um, Kimberly Pfeiffer is actually my contemplative leadership coach. Um, you coach me on a informal basis all the time. Um, Kate definitely gets a chance to do some coaching with me on well-being, stress, and resilience. So I think that's one of the more unusual aspects of being part of work wisdom is that we can really rely on each other. Yeah, it's it's definitely a gift. One of the ways that we define coaching is it's a leader who coaches effectively is seen as a mentor who supports employee growth. Employees are nurtured towards achieving their highest levels of performance. That sounds really work wisdomy. Mm-hmm. And I like the definition. It sounds promising to me, but I wonder if listeners, you know, maybe they think, but what does it really mean concretely? When I'm explaining this or presenting this concept, it can help people to frame it as um, what is a manager versus what is a leader, because managers tend to use supervision as a technique for accomplishing their goals, whereas leaders tend to use coaching as a technique for accomplishing their goals. So sometimes even when I'm trying to define what what a co- what coaching is, um, I back it up a little bit and start thinking about, okay, well, what's a manager versus what's a leader? Mm-hmm. And, and start thinking through, well, you know, Peter Drucker says managers are people who do things right versus leaders who are people who do the right things. Mm-hmm. I don't like to pit them against each other. I'm sure Peter Drucker didn't mean it in any kind of pejorative way uh, against managers. But um, in any given day, some of us are both managers and leaders. And I think the real skill is knowing when do I use my manager techniques versus when do I use my leader techniques like coaching. So when we think about managers, you know, we're really thinking um, managers are really focused more on efficiency, um, really trying to think about the means, the process. They're, um, they're the builders of systems, um, operationalizing visions, whereas leaders are really the architects. They are visioning. Uh, most of their work is around how do I inspire and motivate others to dig deeper, deeper, be mm-hmm. more creative, um, so that we can collectively achieve this vision. So, so maybe that was maybe I'm going in a direction that's a little bit um, too deep, but I think that it's important to understand that those are those are the two 
styles of how do we help others grow um and one is not better than the other it's just they're different when do you need to yeah yeah and not to bring up doug peterson again just for a moment though yes. but let's talk about i him. i mean i can imagine that there's both styles are so important i think he gets a lot of accolades for how he's a leader mm-hmm. um but he has to manage i mean he has to do yeah. the the basic stuff that you have to do to call plays and figure out strategies and hire players and you know all those things that are logistical and necessary mm-hmm. and um, but also a big part of his job is inspiring and motivating you know he he in one of his interviews was talking about how organized he is that's a logistical thing mm-hmm. you know he keeps everything in order but also the way he motivates his team to win this game mm-hmm. and to work as hard as they possibly can. And he talks a lot about being present and inspiring those those athletes to stay present because there's so many instances where you falter, you know, and yeah. to remember, okay, next play, like, I'm just going to be present for that. So uh, again, I think he just, he does a nice job of, of balancing, balancing those two things mm-hmm. because you're right. They both are really necessary. They yeah. don't need to be pitted, but yeah. the balance is how amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we can start shifting in a direction towards more coaching. Um, so when I think about, you know, the proportion of my day that I'm supervising versus the proportion of my day mm. that I'm coaching, um, I, we are in, in a, in a space and in a time at work wisdom where because of growth, we're really shifting my role more towards coaching. Mm. So, um, so when we think about what, what is it that supervisors do, what are the techniques of supervisors, um, the, the communication tends to be more directive, yeah. uh, one directional saying, okay, Sarah, I need you to do this thing. Um, fill out this piece of paper mm-hmm. this way, deliver this presentation this way. My job as a supervisor is really based on evaluation. I'm trying to judge, are you doing this well or not so well? And how can I get you to do it better? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's based on evaluation. It's really about efficiency. My perspective is a shorter time horizon as a supervisor. Um, I tend to be more process oriented. Mm-hmm. But in my role where I'm growing into coaching more, um, I'm trying to be more bi-directional in how I communicate. I'm, I'm trying to do a lot more listening than telling. I'm helping others arrive at solutions mm. using inquiry, um, helping them establish the criteria that they need so that they can be critical decision makers on their own so they can make great decisions maybe without me someday. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's all about, you know, really taking the long view, focusing on how do we grow? How do we scale? How do we scale not just profit? How do we scale impact? Yeah. Um, of course, here it's all about r- the revolution. How do we <laughs> revolutionize achievement um, and build that engagement? Mm-hmm. So it's particularly pertinent since our big question this year is about empowerment. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. There's a book on the table uh, in front of you called Helping People Change. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you about why you brought that here today. What's mm-hmm. what's going on with that book? Well, I feel like we can't talk about coaching without talking about this, this very important new book. Um, Richard Boyatzis has been someone that I've looked up to for 
maybe decades mm-hmm. now. Um, he's always been out there talking about coaching, maybe even before we called coaching, coaching. Um, and he also talks quite a bit about the kind of leadership, resonant leadership that we really aspire to help our coaches, uh, our leaders really lean into. Um, and this new book that he wrote on helping people change is just gold. It is, okay. it, you might call it a book it's sitting in the middle <laughs> of the table. It's a big nugget of they gold. Are. And um, so, in fact, for our continuing ed this month, for our coaches here at Work Wisdom, we, we talked about this new book and what we can glean from it. Uh, so that we can use it internally and maybe even sometimes share it with our with our clients. Mm. So yeah, so you know, Boyatz is, ta- is the the father of intentional change theory, and I think it was in the seventies. Mm. Maybe I'm maybe he's not that old, but I think it was in the seventies when he started writing about intentional change theory. So it's brilliant and simple. Um, basically it has five stages. If you want to help people change, you have to help them through these five different stages. Um, and it's so work wisdom. Mm. Um, so the first is that you have to help them really vision their ideal state. Who are they? We use positive guided visualization to help people see themselves five years out sometimes 10 years out, maybe only one year out mm-hmm. for some people. But once they can start seeing who they are at that place, uh, you take them to the second part of intentional change theory, which is um, where you start doing a little bit of non-judgmental comparison mm-hmm. between the current state and the future state. Mm-hmm. So um, who are we in this new version of ourselves versus who are we today? And what are the habits What are the behaviors? What are the mindsets that we need to develop so that we become this new, future, better version of ourselves? So that's that second part is doing that Mm -hmm. non-judgmental comparison. The third part is um, Boyatzis calls it a learning agenda. We call it our curriculum. So when we take a client um, to this future state, do that comparison, then we say, okay, what skills, behaviors, mindsets, habits are you going to need to drop into your toolbox so that you can become this version of yourself? And then we we actually make it a curriculum for them, and then we help them develop those mm-hmm. skills. So that's the third part. The fourth part is experimenting with those new behaviors um, in a safe way. Mm-hmm. We tend to start with baby steps mm-hmm. and then help them feel emboldened by the success they have with those new behaviors. Um, And then the fifth part is really helping them form um, relationships, colleagues, friendships that will allow them to continue experimenting with these improved behaviors and reinforcing as well. So, so that's intentional change theory. So we love it. You know, we, we, Maybe do it in a slightly different order at Work Wisdom, but it's it's um, Boyatzis. He's he's the king. He's the king. He's the king. That's the gold. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we get him on the podcast one day. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I, I like this last uh, step: trusting relationships where individuals can continue to grow. It makes me think about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, being in. Um, in a workplace where you have the ability to be, to make mistakes. You know, we talk about psychological safety so often 
Um, you know, I think that even our discussion maybe shifts the perspective of coaching in some ways when I, you know, I keep going back to Doug Peterson, but sports coaching, there's, there's a lot of famous coaches who really rail on the players and they're kind of famous for doing that. And they might even have winning records and things like that. Um, but one of the things that we've talked about, um, not on the podcast, but this notion of coaching with compassion Mm -hmm. versus compliance. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, you know, what are the, what are the key parts of that that make that better than somebody who might create winners, but it's, it's more about short term versus long term. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are lots of disciplines that come at this in a variety of ways. And we could have all of our five coaches come on and we can all talk about our influences that taught us um, essentially to put love or empathy or compassion or understanding or deep listening or, you know, whatever we call it, um, in the room, um, into that person's life so that they can begin to open up, um, become more creative, become more open to trying new behaviors. So, so Boyatzis happens to call it compassion, mm-hmm. you know, compassion, coaching with compassion as opposed to coaching with for compliance. So when you think about coaching for compliance, um, it tends to, it's sort of carrot versus stick. You know, it's punitive. Compliance is okay. um, if you don't do this thing, I will punish you. Uh, so when you think about a lot of... Um, the world of human resources, there's something called a performance improvement plan that um, tends to be coaching for compliance. So it's basically saying if you don't change this behavior, we're going to you know punish you, dock your pay, fire you, whatever it is. Um, not necessarily coming at that indiv- individual from a place of compassion, which is trying to listen, trying to understand, trying to help them visualize their aspired self, dream of the behaviors that will help them become this aspired, um, more high-performing self. So, you know, the thing is, it's very related to PEA and NEA. So without going too deep into this, um, PEA is positive emotional attractors, and NEA is negative emotional attractors. So um, PEA is when we are feeling positive and open. We are feeling hopeful. Mm-hmm. We're feeling um, that we can vision the future. And uh, it comes from a place of um, compassion. So yeah. when some when someone tr- treats up with us with compassion and listens to us and helps us um, – think about what's great and what we can make even more great, that opens us up. And so we can do a lot more um, successful growing when we are in the PEA rather Mm -hmm. than the NEA, which is the negative emotional attractors. So when someone's sort of shooting on us and telling us, you know, how we're bad um, and how we stink at something, and if we don't do it right the next time we're going to get fired – we're far more likely to shut down and really 
and really it becomes manifest that um, we do stink at it, (laughs) even if we didn't. Thing, even if we didn't stink terribly at it, it will just sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So um, the NEA is helpful in that a lot of sustained um, desired change starts in the NEA. We feel like garbage. Right. And so we decide, <laughs> you know what, it's just time. Yeah. I'm just going to stop you know, smoking or whatever, you know, lose 15 pounds or get a better job or get out of this marriage or whatever that is. Um, It has to come from the NEA, but to have the, um, the permanent lasting um, flourishing, you need to go to the PEA. So uh, there, there's a variety of you know, you can think about how much time should I spend in the PEA versus the NEA when I'm coaching this client. Um, at Work Wisdom, we tend to think about John Gottman's work. He was a, a marriage psychologist, but this idea around um, you kind of want to have the five positives for every one negative yeah. um, <laughs> to kind of balance it out because we yeah. hear the negative at such a loud volume yeah. and it's so sticky. So, um, so anyhow, I hope that answered your question. That was maybe a little bit more than you needed there. No, no, that's, that's great. We can edit. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I I was thinking, so when I used to teach public speaking, Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's a, you know, public speaking can be really hard to do, especially for those students. But I would, I would always, if I had a correction, like a behavior that needed to be corrected, I would look so um, hard and closely for the behaviors that were that worked and so Mm -hmm. I could make sure that I was presenting those to kind of um, outweigh the maybe the negative ones that would be hard to handle yeah Um, it's it is it is important the NEA but it's it's necessary but I think it's in smaller doses yeah yeah I want to close with a a final question which is uh, about the coaching questions because something that that you've talked about um in the past is the fact that we're not you know we're not talking about telling people how to be necessarily it's really uncovering that person's own wisdom and their own their own abilities yeah and so a lot of what we do with coaching and I think this is something that you taught me early on is is that I don't have to tell people, like I don't have to teach them information, but I need to learn how to listen and, and ask the right questions, which I feel like you do with such skill. So I wanted to close with just a question about what are some of the key coaching questions you'd be willing to share with the listeners? Like what are some coaching questions that you think sort of open up um, other people's minds? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, before I talk about that, I just want to shine the light on something that you just spoke about, which I think is a fundamental difference in how we do coaching mm. at Work Wisdom, um, which is this belief that the the answer lies within the person yeah. and that it's really our job just to clear away the the murkiness yeah. and clear away whatever that obstacle is that's not allowing them to be that best version of themselves. Mm. So um, other coaches don't have that philosophy. They believe that they have to help this person become a different version of themselves. Um, 
so the types of questions that we ask tend to um, help people go back to a time when they were exceptional. Mm -hmm. So if, let's say you're in some dilly of a pickle at work right now, (laughs) and um, I'm trying to help you recognize that you do have everything you need in order to be skillful at this, Mm -hmm. I'll be asking you questions about, tell me a time when you had to manage a conflict and you did it really well. Mm. And so I might even be asking you to, to think of your whole life. And so maybe you'll tell me a time when, you know, Paul and Christina were fighting and as the older sister you were able to you know manage it and and keep the family together and you did a beautiful job and then I'll be saying questions like how can you cut and paste that experience when you did such a great job onto this situation Mm -hmm. here at work Um, we have a set of coaching questions that we use internally. One of my favorites is one that my, my old friend, Charlie Crystal, I don't think he lives in Lancaster anymore, but he always used to say, what's the goal here? (laughs) And it it was beautiful because it just, it just crystallized everything Mm -hmm. that came after that. Um, so I, I think, you know, people can get in touch with us if they want to know more about, you know, the types of questions that we use. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a it's a an elegant way of getting the other person to either discover that they already have it within themselves mm. um, and then also think about um, how did I do it in the past and how can I cut and paste that onto onto the future. I love that. Yeah, it works well. Yeah. So thank you, Kedrin, for your wisdom uh, about coaching and this Coaching 101 episode. Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com. You can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and Productions, ask questions, and give suggestions for topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with a quote this time from Coach Doug Peterson of the Eagles. When asked how he feels about how players want to play for him, how they want to play on the Eagles team and play in the city of Philadelphia, he said, it means the world to me because it means that they've bought into what I've been teaching. We've built a culture where it's exciting to come to work every single day. It's an atmosphere that's conducive for learning and to be successful. Thank you.